On this week's edition of New York Now, the clock is ticking on New York's $216 billion state budget. We'll tell you what to expect in the days ahead. Then, lawmakers push for solutions to New York's home care crisis. Daryl Camp reports. And later, one in five women experience maternal mental illness. Senate Mental Health Chair Samra Brook tells us how the state could help. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. We start this week's show with a sort of silly question. If you had $216 billion and about 20 million people that relied on you, how would you spend it? That's the question that Governor Kathy Hochul and the state legislature will try to answer in the next three weeks. Democrats, who control the legislature, are expected to introduce and pass their own rebuttal spending plans to Hochul's budget next week. That'll kick off negotiations on a final package of spending bills, which are due at the end of March. It is a very tight window. But as of now, Hochul says she's not planning to blow that deadline. So my expectations will be on time. We're very close to that time, and I don't have any intention to have it going much beyond that. But it's Good. important. It's important for stability and for the certainty of all the municipalities and the organizations that rely on their funding. So let's go through what to expect in the next few weeks and other news from the week with Dave Lombardo from the Capitol Press Room and Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Industry. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. So let's talk budget first. Dave, what are you watching in the next few weeks? It's a, it's a tight window, as we just said. We have three weeks until the budget deadline, a lot of moving parts. What are you looking at? I'm looking at smooth sailing, Dan. We've got hmm. plenty of money, and money makes the world go round. It makes everything just a little bit easier. And unlike past years when we've had a real push to create additional revenue, we're really not seeing that. Recently, we heard from the legislature and the governor that we found you know, another billion dollars in the couch cushion somewhere it's in great. the pockets. So it just helps with uh, all that. Uh, tough decision-making making it so it's, there's not really any tough decisions. And I heard one assembly member say, if budgets are about priorities, we've basically said uh, we like a little bit of everything. And uh, that's what we're going to see uh, in these one-house budgets that they're voting on next week. A little bit of additional spending on top of what the governor proposed, but nothing too heavy. We'll see a big uh, investment over the top uh, on child care, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for this year's budget, and then some uh, additional funny money that uh, out-year budgets uh, doesn't really account for anything too serious. Uh, we'll watch to see if anything gets done on ethics. I don't think it will, because if we listen closely, we hear not much from Kathy Hochul, so I don't yeah. think it's a real big priority for her. So watching that uh, and uh, you know whether any other big policy things make it into the budget, I'm skeptical since the Assembly has said you know, we don't really want to do policy in the budget, and it's an election year, so people are on edge. The one big potential controversy is really within the left, and that's whether uh, additional funding for undocumented New Yorkers, the Excluded Workers Fund, right. will get any additional money. They're looking for more than $2 billion, I think $3 billion. And that was a big fight last year. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen this year. It wasn't going to be in either of the one-house budgets from the Senate or Assembly. So that's kind of the potential fight. But everything else, Dan, just, you know, kicking back, relaxing, <laughs> grab a drink for the next three weeks. Though I don't know. You know, it brings up a good point of we have all of this money. Does that make it easier to build a budget? Or does that make it harder because now everybody and their mother is coming to the state capitol and saying, hey, you haven't funded me in the past. I'd really like this money now. It makes it easier, ultimately. There's just a little bit 
to go around for everyone. Yeah, we're not going to get a $5 billion investment in childcare, but we can get a $1 billion investment this year. You know, we might not be able to get a bajillion dollars for schools, but we can get a shmillion dollars for schools. <laughs> so there's enough to go around, and I think people are also setting realistic expectations uh, that uh, about what they can get done. So. I think this is going to be pretty smooth. Keisha, what are you watching for? You watch different things than we do because of the nature of your job, and you're focused on a lot of different things. What are you looking at in the budget? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, also to play off of Dave, this is an election year, so they're not really going to touch anything too controversial. Um, putting money in where they can get um, different, uh, maintain the Democratic majority in the Senate, as well as um, you know giving some money to those assembly members as well. We're looking at the... Um, uh, tax cuts to the middle class, which um, Kathy Hochul proposed speeding up. Um, we're also looking at housing reforms in New York City, uh, as well as climate change issues. I know uh, there was a big rally this week that was trying to get an additional $15 billion in climate change funding. Um, I don't think we're going to get $15 in billion. In one year? Um, I think it's rolled out over a few. But, oh, okay, I was going to get $15 um, billion. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> and also note that Kathy Hochul um, did try to get $4 billion um, on the ballot in November to try to get a, um, a bond to help with climate change issues. So I think that we'll see that. And um, also looking at the electrification of buildings in the state and how much the legislature wants to put towards that as well. That's a good point. It, it's a lot to look at. I, I'm wondering with the taxes, there, there is this conversation that isn't happening this year that we saw last year, right, where there's this big push to tax high-income earners. And I think in January there was a little bit more of that to start with, but then it kind of tapered, I, I don't know, this is just my opinion looking at things. It kind of tapered off. We don't see that this year. It, it's unlikely, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we'll see higher taxes on higher income earners this year. Yes, I think that Kathy Hochul's trying to stay away from controversy. Um, they did something last year in the budget on that. So I think that this year is focused on um, trying to get money to homeowners, trying to get money to the middle class, um, the majority of those taxpayers that uh, are going to head to the polls in November. Yeah, I, Dave, last question on the budget for you. So Kathy Ogle said this week, and we just played a clip from her saying she wants an on-time budget. How important is that? I think it shows competency in, in government, and this is her first budget, and so she's making a pitch uh, to voters in both the primary and the general election that she can run the government. That was the big thing from Andrew Cuomo, I'm running a competent government. So I think it's really important for her as a symbolic gesture about her ability to lead. That's, and you bring up Andrew Cuomo, um, we saw a poll this week where in a hypothetical primary, he is just a few points behind Kathy Ockel. It, it, we'll, we'll wait to see if he jumps in. Uh, we don't really know what's going on with that, so I don't want to talk too much about it. When we know something, we will let you know for sure. I do want to turn now to cannabis, though, Keisha. So cannabis in New York has been this very long, complicated process. I mean, the regulatory process is complicated in itself, but this week we saw some movement on the recreational side of it. What did they do exactly? Because it's very specific. <laughs> yes, yes. So they're starting to do the licensing. Um, if we're planning on rolling out, um, they're trying to have sales by the end of this year. We need to, number one, make sure there's enough um, product. And then number two, who's selling it? So the state um, cannabis board did two things this week. First, they um, approved the conditional licensing for hemp farmers, which basically ensures that local um, hemp growers who are doing essentially CBD 
um, growing can get into this market and start making start planting those products so that they're available come fall. The THC products, not yes. just hemp. Yep, the okay. THC products. So they're going to get into the recreational side, and a lot of them are already set up for that. It also includes outdoor grow, which is better for the environment, um, and it also gives the little guy basically a shot uh, because right now the medical growers um, are the larger companies, and they're the ones that were basically um, bulking up for this, <laughs> planning for this ahead of time. Um, and then also the board uh, decided to put in licensing for the retail stores, and they're starting with those who had prior cannabis-related convictions. So you not only had to um, either, or were related to someone who had that. So basically aiming to help those communities who are hardest hit by the war on drugs. Um, now, just to note that you also must have um, some experience being a small business owner. So right. I don't know how many people that um, would apply to the state is saving between 100 and 200 licenses for those communities in an effort to um, have social equity. So is that the 200 that you just mentioned, is that the cap on those licenses for the people with past convictions? I don't, I don't think, I think they're just making sure that they reserve uh, at least 100 to 200. Um, they have not said how many licenses for retail dispensaries that they're going to have um, so far in the state. So um, it should be something interesting to watch. The law itself included um, a goal of 50% for um, those social justice applicants, as well as um, farmers in need and um, women in minority-owned businesses. Interesting. You know, it, we'll have to see how it goes and see if it actually happens by the end of the year. Some people have said uh, middle of next year. So we'll see. Interesting yeah. stuff. Keisha Kulke from Bloomberg Industry. Dave Lombardo from the Capitol Press Room. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thanks. All right, turning now to news on health care in New York, there's a new push at the state level to breathe new life into the state's struggling home care industry. It's becoming harder and harder to find consistent and reliable home care in New York, and that in part is because there's just so much turnover in the industry. But lawmakers in Albany say that could soon change. Daryl Camp reports. I'm going to try this. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Elderly and vulnerable New Yorkers we were a big area of focus during the COVID-19 pandemic. From vaccination efforts to guidance from public health experts, many public health decisions made since 2020 were made with those groups in mind. But as New York begins to emerge from the pandemic, many problems still remain for vulnerable New Yorkers, some of which were made clear over the past two years. One major area of concern is the need for home care aides. Home care aides are a type of healthcare professional who works in a client's home as opposed to a medical facility. They're often essential to helping aging New Yorkers stay in their homes and necessary for day-to-day -day functions for those with disabilities. Paula Vereen is a home care aide in New York City. The home care workers are doing it all. When they come down to the patients, we wear a lot of hats. We become the doctor, we become the lawyer, the supervisor, the social worker, everything when it comes down to the patients. A lot of the patients, they don't have anyone to care for them. And if it wasn't for home care workers, the patients would be out of it. And as important as that job is, there's a significant shortage of workers in the industry. Many connected to home care say that's because of low wages compared to entry-level jobs. Home care aides earn about fifteen forty-five per hour on average, according to federal data. That is just above the minimum wage in New York City and its suburbs. 
That minimum wage is currently $15 an hour, with many jobs starting much higher due to workforce shortages. Here's Vereen again. I mean, it's not enough. It's not enough. Comparing to the way things is going up, it's very difficult. You know, when it comes down to dealing with the you know, living wages, I think it's not enough. That and a non-traditional schedule can lead to high turnover in the industry, and lawmakers in Albany are trying to change that. A new bill called Fair Pay for Home Care would raise the minimum wage for the industry to 50% above the standard minimum wage in any given part of the state. That could be anywhere from 19.80 per hour to 22.50 per hour. The bill would also raise reimbursement rates under Medicaid and managed care, which lawmakers say could help raise those wages more. Senate sponsor Rachel May, a Democrat from Syracuse, is the chair of the Senate Aging Committee. Right now in a lot of fields, they're paying workers more than minimum wage just to get the work, but in home care they can't do that because the reimbursement from the state is too low. So this bill requires that reimbursement to go up. Because the bill would cost the state money, lawmakers are hoping to include it in this year's state budget. That's due at the end of March. Whenever something is tied to funding, the legislature prefers to work it out in the budget where they can set aside money to make it work. This year is a little different than past years, though. New York has a budget surplus because of federal aid and strong tax revenue. Governor Hochul has said that she would like to save some of that surplus for a rainy day fund. However, Assembly Health Chair Richard Gottfried says it's raining. You know, we have a large surplus in this year's budget, but that means there are a lot of people demanding more money for everything under the sun. Uh, so it's a question of priorities. We're trying to make sure that health care, uh, both coverage for all and fair pay for home care, are top priorities. Increased wages are something the home health care industry has been fighting for for years. And because they haven't seen much happen, they've felt like they're not a priority for lawmakers. Julie Farrar from the Center for Disability Rights says that's partly because people don't connect with the issue. There is a lot of stigma around disability. There remains a lot of stigma around disability, even though uh, disability, being disabled is a natural part of, of being, and many people will age into disability and age in, into needing home, home care. There has been some progress at the state level, but advocates say there's still a long way to go. Five years ago, the state approved $55 million to raise wages for direct support professionals who care for those with a disability. But since then, prices have gone up for everything, while wages have stayed low. Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara chairs the Assembly Subcommittee on Spectrum Disorders. And there are people that are still doing the work, but... They're certainly not doing it for the compensation because that has not been in line with what other industries have seen. And people in, in some instances are there because they have a passion for this work, but they just can't make ends meet anymore and they're really struggling. While there doesn't seem to be clear opposition to additional funding for the state's home care industry, that doesn't mean it's a sure thing in this year's budget. Supporters are watching to see what happens, and they haven't seen much in the form of a commitment from Governor Hochul's administration. Bill Ferris from AARP. The Division of Budget and the Governor's Office are not coming to the table, and it's evident because there was nothing in the executive budget. So we're hopeful the legislature will do something in their one-house budgets. Ferris says there's also financial incentive here. 
More funding for home care workers, he says, could reduce costs in the long term. But those who need home care say the state should be less concerned about the cost and more focused on the benefit to New Yorkers. People are in, in nursing homes not because they're old, but because they need assistance with activities of daily living. And if they could get that in their home, that would be the right thing to do, the humane thing to do, the, the way to treat people with the respect that they deserve. With the budget due at the end of March, we'll see if lawmakers act on the home care industry in a final spending plan. If not, it could come up again before lawmakers leave Albany for the year in early June. Thanks, Daryl. Something to watch in the coming weeks. More from the state capitol now. You may not know this, but as many as one in five women who give birth in New York experience a mental health condition, like depression or anxiety. That's according to the state, and it's worse for women of color. For some, that's a difficult thing to imagine, so we don't hear about it a lot. And because of that stigma, many women who experience depression either before or after their pregnancy don't seek help. But a new package of bills in Albany is aimed at changing that through data and closer care. For that and more, I spoke with Senator Samra Brook, the chair of the Senate Mental Health Committee. Senator Brook, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Of course, anytime. So we're talking about this sort of unseen issue of mental health for people who are either pregnant or have recently given birth. You have a package of bills to address this. One of them would require mental health screenings for these people. And I was surprised to find out that this isn't already a part of regular care. Why do you think that is? You know, it's a really great question, and I and I do think it's important to note. You know, I have spoken to a lot of providers as we do research on these bills, so that we can be really thoughtful and deliberate on what we bring forward. And the truth is, there are a number of providers who do this work, and um, and and it's wonderful. And there are people, there are patients who receive these screenings. But what we're trying to do here is really kind of lift the bar, so that no matter where you go in New York State, no matter what insurance you have, no matter what provider you go to, can we at least guarantee that these screenings are happening? And the other thing that we do with this legislation is we also make a recommendation that it happen within three weeks. Uh, generally speaking, these uh, screenings will happen within six weeks postpartum, but one of the things that research has found is that a lot of uh, new parents don't make it to that six-week postpartum um, appointment, right? They're busy with their children or their new child and figuring it out, or perhaps they are suffering from a maternal uh, mental health uh, illness and, and, and can't make it. And so we're trying to encourage providers to do it in a shorter time period and also to do it at a... Um, child's visit so that the when you go to visit the pediatrician that they are also empowered to do this along with an OBGYN that you might visit postpartum. So as you and I both know there is still a stigma about talking about mental health even when you're talking directly with your provider sometimes there is a stigma and people just feel uncomfortable talking about it. With these screenings how do you get past that? How do you get these people to open up and connect with their provider so they're getting the help that they need? Absolutely. I mean, doing this work as chair of mental health, I've taken it so seriously to share my own stories, share stories, you know, that I hear, of course, anonymously with others to break some of that stigma. And, um, you know, when you talk to uh, new parents, uh, new maternal parents or, or mothers, you know, there's that heightened sense of stigma where it's supposed to be this joyful time in your life. You have this new newborn who smells so deliciously sweet and, you know, <laughs> looks 
those big eyes and and it's supposed to be a time where you're you know it's it's joyful right um but the reality is it's a very difficult time you've just brought life into this world um and if you have ever suffered from mental illness before you may be more prone to to have that happen again and that's why we see so many people dealing with this so one of the things that actually another one of the bills in this package does is revisit these screenings to better assess perhaps how to get to the heart of what's happening with a new parent. So for example, perhaps you aren't comfortable answering the question, do you feel sad, right? Do you feel depressed? Many people don't wanna admit that they feel depressed even, especially a new mother. Um, but what if we asked, have you showered in the last day? What did you have for lunch yesterday? So, so one of the things that one of these bills does is really revisit how are we doing these screenings to actually get to the heart of what's going on with people um, postpartum. And perhaps some of these social determinants of health will help us better facilitate a conversation. But of course, nothing will replace the work that we all have to do to, uh, to really end the stigma and to make it comfortable to say, I'm not okay and I need help. Um, and, and being able to share that with a friend who can give you a resource or being comfortable saying that to a provider, we still have a lot of work to do to fight those stigmas. So while I have you, I wanna to turn to the state budget. As we mentioned, you are the chair of the Senate Mental Health Committee. I'm wondering as you look at this really, really big budget, was there anything that the governor didn't have in her executive budget in January that you would like to see added back in for the final spending plan, which is due at the end of the month here? Obviously, it, it, there's a wide range of things that we could talk about, but anything on your mind? Oh, there's a lot on my mind. I mean, <laughs> all that's on my mind in addition to the maternal mental health. Um, but I do want to say, you know, I am pleased that we are starting in a better place than we were last year. And I think it was last year. I don't know. It was around this time that I was with you. Uh, it was a very different scenario. So some of the key things I'll be looking at and have been fighting for along with many advocates, you know, we have a 5.4% cost of living adjustment. To put that in perspective for folks, we fought tooth and nail to get a 1% after 12 years of nothing. So for a governor to put 5.4% is huge. But here's the thing, it's over after a year. So the whole point of a cost of living adjustment is that it rises with inflation. Cost of living increases every year. I don't have to tell anybody who's watching that. We see our prices go up every year. So one thing that I'm fighting for is to make sure we don't sunset that. The other big thing is we need to do more investment when it comes to um, youth mental health. Um, you know, the numbers are staggering. We have a Surgeon General that has warned us we are in crisis for youth mental health. Um, so I have a, a proposal to allow any young person in New York to access up to five free telehealth mental health appointments. A lot of our urban and rural young folks don't have access to providers in their communities. Um, and while we work to build up those local providers, we need to be able to give them the help they need today. And so that's another proposal that I'm hoping to be included as almost an immediate answer this year for some of these kids who, who need help. You know, just taking a step back, talking about the cost of living adjustment. So as you said, the governor has it in her budget. Do you see that uh, any problem with that getting past the, sen the Senate, at least? I can't ask you about the Assembly because you're not there, obviously. But do you see the, the Senate taking that on? Well, I think anytime we ask for more resources, it's always an uphill battle, right? I mean, I'll just say, you know, I take it very seriously. We are a small mental health committee, but we are mighty. 
And um, I take that work very seriously because at the end of the day, we're talking about people who have been completely burnt out. And if you think about the last two years, how many of us had a sign that said, thank you heroes? How many of us tweeted about thanking our essential workers? Well, guess what? A lot of those signs are, uh, are, are falling down now. The rain got them or the snow got them. We're not talking about it as much, but the one way we can actually say thank you and make sure that we don't lose more people from these workforces is to actually pay them what they are worth. And so I will um, I will go down to the last minute uh, preaching that and hoping that I can get the support that we need. All right, we'll be looking out for it. Senate Mental Health Chair Samra Brook, thank you so much as always. Thank you. And there is a lot more to mental health in the state budget. We'll keep an eye on it over the next few weeks. But staying with healthcare now, we're trying out a new segment this week that we're calling On the Bill. We're going to use it on occasion to give you a brief look at a bill in Albany that you might not hear about otherwise. This week, we're talking about S7909. Independent pharmacists were at the Capitol this week to lobby for the bill, saying it would put more money back in their pockets. It would essentially place new limits on fees paid to pharmacy benefit managers, which are the middlemen between the pharmacy and your insurance, including Medicaid. So that money would be shifted instead to pharmacies and there wouldn't be network restrictions that often give chain pharmacies an advantage. The bill was vetoed in December by Governor Kathy Hochul, who said it should be negotiated as part of the state budget instead. It's sponsored by Senator James Skoufis, a Democrat from the Hudson Valley. You know, every other state that has made this transition has saved money for the state. That's why we all felt that this could have and should have been done outside the budget when the bill hit her desk at the end of last year. But nevertheless, in her veto message, she said this needs to be part of the budget. So here we are, we're talking about in, as part of the budget now. And the bill would build on new laws from last year that require more transparency from pharmacy benefit managers in terms of their pricing in hopes of reducing costs for consumers like you. So we'll keep an eye on that one in the budget, but we do have to leave it there. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.